Hey queens and kings. Today I'd like to share something new with you. I've been reading all of the emails that you guys have been sending to the website about different topics that you'd like to hear discussed on these three things. And I really appreciate them because I read through every single one and you guys have some pretty amazing topics that um, you want to discuss regarding women of color. As I was reading through those emails, I realized that the only way to have a well-rounded conversation about all of these various topics was to do it in a group. As I began to think about that, I thought about all of the women that I've met along the way in my travels. So I created groups in various cities throughout the country because I'm sure you can tell by now, I'm a Southern girl. So a lot of the perspectives that have been shared thus far is from the Southern experience. But I'm well aware that my East Coast, West Coast, and Midwest friends all may have some of those same experiences, but also very different just because of where they are in the country. So I've created groups that I call the Queen Group. And today I'll be introducing you to the Queen Group Atlanta. Hey, queens and kings. I'm super excited to share my first guest with you today. If you listen to the introduction episode of These Three Things, you'll remember that I mentioned we'd have a therapist along for the ride. Today, she makes her first appearance. Dr. Patricia Thompson is an award-winning corporate psychologist, executive coach, and speaker who has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fast Company, Inc., and many other sites. During her career, she has worked with a range of clients from students to couples to Fortune 500 CEOs. Dr. Patricia brings her extensive experience as a psychologist from relationships to corporate America. Dr. Patricia, welcome to These Three Things. Hey, thank you for having me. LaQuinta Jacobs is a native of Los Angeles, California, and currently resides in Atlanta. 
Professionally, she has grown her career in positions of progressive responsibilities in human resources with more than 20 years of experience. LaQuinta brings her expertise in HR and advancing in corporate America. LaQuinta, welcome to These Three Things. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me. Dr. Leslie Black. Her 17-year tenure within the pharmaceutical industry is preceded by her role as the head athletic trainer at a historically black college at the age of 21. Dr. Leslie brings her diverse experiences in life, healthcare, and corporate America. Dr. Leslie, welcome to These Three Things. Hi, thanks for having me. And last but not least, Malika Hakeem is an external relations and government affairs leader, in addition to being an entrepreneur, socialite, connector, networker, and political daughter. Malika brings her expertise in politics and entrepreneurship. Malika, welcome to these three things. Thanks, Sharana. And you know Malika means queen. I know. I love that. I love it. (laughs) So let's talk about how I know these women. I knew Dr. Leslie first because when I graduated from college at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, my first job out of college was at Troy University. And Dr. Leslie was a student at Troy University at the time, and she was also the student trainer for women's basketball. She was actually the student head trainer for women's basketball. And she and I quickly befriended each other and moved in together. We decided to be roommates, and we lived together for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And then from there... We just kind of kept in touch and would hang out and take road trips. We'd hang out and go to the women's final fours and uh, just kicked it and had a great experience. And so as Dr. Leslie has moved through her career, uh, she now lives in Atlanta. And I've met Malika and LaQuinta through Dr. Leslie because I would come up and visit her and we'd all go out to dinner, me, Dr. Leslie, Malika, and LaQuinta, and have some of the best conversations over dinner, sometimes drinks, and that's how I now know Malika and LaQuinta. And then Dr. Patricia, when I knew that I was going to start this podcast and I wanted a therapist, uh, I started to follow different therapists throughout the state of Georgia. And I always would watch the videos of Dr. Patricia the feedback that she'd give uh, various people or other podcasts that she'd been a part of, I'd listen to what she had to say. And I just, I loved her voice. I loved her feedback. And so I reached out to Dr. Patricia and we talked on the phone, had a great phone conversation. And at the end of the conversation, uh, she said to me, it sounds fun. Let's do it. And (laughs) I was blown away because I loved her openness to the idea of this work and reaching out to women and helping us 
unite. And I'm just really thankful to have all of you ladies here. I think that we all bring a very diverse opinion, which is exactly what I wanted. So ladies, thank all of you for being a part of these three things, Queen Group, Atlanta, applause all around. Thank you, ladies. I have recently received tons of emails from many black women who want to know how they can be more unapologetically black in the workplace. And every time I read that question, I have a thought in my mind like, okay, that what, what does that look like? When we say that, what does being unapologetically black really look like? So I wanna just start like, whoever wants to open up that first and talk about it first, I'd love to hear when we say that, what does that really mean? Um, I'd like to say, in my experience, being unapologetically black is wearing my hair like I want to wear my hair. Whether I have braids, whether it's natural, um, being confident when I walk into a room with that look because I didn't always feel that way. And that isn't until more recently since, um, you know, the the death of George Floyd and, you know, social reform that's happening right now. Um, I think having conversations about my culture, uh, the music, um, my experiences, to me, just being more open about it and not worrying about if I say something, will they think of me in a certain way because it would be considered unprofessional. But I, I do believe there is still a level of code switching that we do, you know, mm -hmm. in corporate America. Yeah. Uh, just because I think we're so used to it. And it's, it's just what the culture requires at work to a certain extent. Anyone else want to weigh in on that, Dr. Patricia? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I know as a joke, um, the other day on Twitter, I saw someone had tweeted something about if you... It was to white people, and it was like, if you think that you actually know your black colleagues' um, accents, you're wrong, you know, and that when, when we go home, it's, it's an entirely different story. And so I think that really speaks to the fact that um, people are code switching all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there's, I think, more of an appetite now, or, or at least an openness to um, people at least being curious about what the experience of black people is like. But um, I, I think it's something that I hear people struggling with all the time. Um, one of the things that I tell a lot of black women that I mentor in the organization, and I'm often sought out by black women for mentorship, is being authentically who you are. You've got to first be comfortable with yourself before you can show up in an environment mm -hmm. the way you need to show up. Yeah. So one thing that I had to do after many doors were shut in my face many opportunities I was passed over for a promotion, many opportunities where I've had to coach my leader on aspects of my technical job. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, right. You're my senior vice president, right? What I had to do was get very comfortable in my skill set and get very comfortable in who I was and get co comfortable with La Quinta before I could okay. show up the way that I needed to show up. And then I started to show up with my braids. I started to show up with my mohawk. I started mm -hmm. to show up with my blonde hair. And guess what? None of those things mattered. Were, uh, mattered. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I was authentically who I was and I walked in my skill set. Yes. And that is the thing that I encourage us to do is do the work personally 
because it helps you personally and professionally, and it shifts the lens around how you show up. But also understand, purple hair and red hair may not be appropriate in the work environment, and I want to be real about that, because right. sometimes we show up in the work environment, and we're, we can be too much for the Absolutely. environment and for the leadership role that we want to have. So there is... you. There is some code switching. Let's not let's not play over it. Right. There is some code switching that has to happen in corporate America, but your authentic self has to do with the genuine person you are, not necessarily the ordain the or ornament or ordainment that you Absolutely. wear. Absolutely, right? And Professionalism it's, stays it's professional. America, I think for the sister that may be, yeah. you know, working at Walmart. Absolutely, or, yeah. You know, I mean, it, there are just some things that if you want to advance in whatever field it is, you're in, understand it, you know, maybe purple hair, red hair, yellow hair today may not be appropriate. There, not are, def, there are definitely some standards. How many of you guys in this queen conversation right now show up to work unapologetically black every day? I, I'm glad you asked that question because for me, um, like I said, I, my, my path to corporate America has not been traditional. So I've been a stay-at-home wife. I've been an entrepreneur where I felt the most free mm -hmm. to be me and una unapologetically black. Uh, it wasn't until I started to actually start working for someone or working for people um, is when I started to realize the what I like to call restrictions um, that I was bound by. I, my first corporate job was for an individual who made it abundantly clear that he wanted me to show up and work with heels on. Uh, he did not want me to wear braids. He wanted me to hair, wear straight hair. Um, he wanted me to have a very corporate look. Um, and and Dr. That Patricia, is that legal? Wow. wow. It was not legal. But <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm so sorry you had that experience. Yeah. Dress for, yeah. dress for success is how they, this is what they call it. Probably, it yeah, this Un, but it was, you know, it was a small business. It was a, a minority-owned business. It did a lot of government contracts. We were interfacing with a lot of high-powered uh, political figures. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, certainly, a, a, absolutely a look that needed to go with that. And I appreciate the experience that I have with that individual mm -hmm. to this day. I really appreciate that. Um, but I, I will say that once I made the transition from working for m predominantly minority companies to a, a, a majority company, um, I found myself, again, not feeling like myself, trying to fit a mode. Mm -hmm. my, the pitch in my voice went up. Uh, I have a lot of bass in my voice. Uh, and I had to start rethinking some things. Um, I questioned how I was wearing my hair. My blonde highlights were too light. Um, if my clothes were too tight. Uh, but then I, 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 I had to do some self-evaluation. And I had to say, you know, I'm me. I'm happy with me. I'm comfortable with me. And these people, these, these individuals are going to have to accept me as being me. And so my alto came back in my voice. My mm. personality, aggressive or not, yes. definitely <laughs> came out. Uh, but I'm very confident in my skill set. I think that I'm pretty good or pretty great at what I do. You're uh, phenomenal. I, I, I shine <laughs> um, and, and I represent the company well. And, and since I, I have owned me, I've owned Malika, I think I've really started to thrive in a way that I probably would not have had I continued to try to fit that mold. And Dr. Leslie, oh, are you showing up? Well, you work from home now. <laughs> but I so have you're a showing up unapologetically like every day. I have, I have a camera. But no, I, I think I started making that transition um, before I moved to Atlanta. Like, I always wore my hair short. I mean, my hair 
yeah, is my crown. I, my hair was always laid. That's always what I was known for. It was straight. It was perfect. Um, and then I started wearing braids and I have conversations about black things with white people and I don't shy away from it. And they look at me like, cause I'm very strong in what I say and confident in what I say. And so if you, to know me now, to know, to, is to know that I am definitely unapologetically black. Okay, let's transition a little to microaggressions and macroaggressions. And for listeners, I want to give a definition of each so that when we're having this conversation, you can be aware of what they mean. Because we, a lot of times that term is just thrown around and people don't even really know what that means. Like, what does it mean to have, you know, microaggressions? So microaggressions are person-to-person interactions. And, and it's um, a communication that's hostile, derogatory, or negative little slights, insults to marginalized individuals or groups. Here's a few examples, and then you guys can probably throw some in too that you know, as well as you, Dr. Uh, Patricia, as well. You are so articulate. You Mm -hmm. speak so well. Raise your hand if you've heard that in here. Malika's the only female who did not not raise her hand. (laughs) Uh, Okay. At what point did you guys, and I'm just going to pause on that one, because that's something that our Caucasian colleagues, our Caucasian friends say to us all the time as if it is a compliment. At what age or season in your life did you identify that that wasn't a compliment? Because I can tell you the exact moment. I was on a bus trip. I was a student at the University of Alabama. I was a women's basketball player, and we were on a road trip. And I don't remember who it was in our a travel group that turned around and said it to me, but they said, Sharana, you are so articulate. You speak so well. And I remember sitting in my seat on the bus thinking, well, how am I supposed to speak? And what does that mean? What, what, did, what did you think I was supposed to sound like? And I remembered not feeling good by that compliment. So when for you guys did y'all realize that's not really a compliment? I would say probably like my early 30s. Um, I'm 47 now, so I, I um, my first leadership position, management position, mm-hmm. where I was leading somebody and had to do presentations, and one of my managers, actually my story is one of my managers complimented me after one of my black colleagues finished speaking and mm. said, LaQuinta, wow. you're very articulate, and I pulled her to the side afterwards and explained yeah. to her what that sound like mm-hmm. to me and how offensive that was. I couldn't speak for... Her name was Jennifer. I said, I can't speak for Jennifer, but I can tell you how that made me feel as if I am not supposed to be able to form a sentence. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say that probably happened. I was probably 30 before that. I thought it was a compliment. I will, I will honestly say that. I thought it was. You thought it was you a know, compliment. I was, thought it was acceptance. Yeah. So as you asked that question, the first thing that popped in my mind was not work-related and not from a white person. I remember riding on the school bus, and I was sitting next to um, a young girl, and I I couldn't have been older than 14, and I was talking to her, and she said, you talk like a white girl, and I just remember getting so angry and I was like, because I speak proper English, 
I was like, I, I got so mad. And I remember hollering at her. And from then on, all my life, it's always been, oh, you know, you're so well-spoken and you're so articulate. I still hear it to this day, all the time. I, I don't necessarily correct people. I just keep moving. Yeah. Sharana, I would have to say my experience, too, if we're not going to limit it to corporate and, and other cultures. Nothing is limited to corporate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then definitely. I, <laughs> you feel free. <laughs> I grew up the daughter of a politician. My dad made sure that we were all well-read, well-spoken. He corrected us grammatically. What I often get from people is that I don't have a Southern accent. They don't mm -hmm. know where I'm from. Mm -hmm. But I will say my first experience like yours with that would have been from relatives or family members who did not necessarily have that type of coaching. Yes. Uh, my job, my responsibility is, is to be out in front of the public speaking all the time. So perhaps that's why I've not heard it from my, my colleagues, but I will say my first experience was with, with, was with family. With, with family, yeah. And I would, I would say mine was actually when I was in university and it was a little bit different, but we would be in these large classes. And um, so you could be somewhat anonymous in the class. Um, and it was when I wrote an essay and then uh, went and got it when they called my name. And my professor, I don't think, was expecting me to be the person walking up, picking up the essay that was written well. Wow. And, and you know, just said, wow, you write so well, you know, that sort of a thing. But I could see the surprise and did not take it as a compliment at all. Right. Did you yeah. say anything or you just kind of like took it and got your paper and went back to your seat? Yeah, I mean, so at the time I was 17, so I didn't really have probably yeah. the courage to, to say anything to it, but, you know, silently stewed about it and then talked to my friends about it. But maybe wish I would have spoken up if I look back at it now. I think, yeah. uh, I, and I was just having this thought last night, I think a big, something that would really help or a big part of it is, is what perception, we talked about that earlier, and what we see in mainstream media. Media plays a, a big part of thoughts and in, in how people perceive individuals, um, specifically black women. And a lot of the roles that we, that we find ourselves um, playing or how we're displayed in media, I think lend to those beliefs that we are not well-spoken. It's the angry black woman, you know, it's always shaking the head or popping the finger or, you know, twisting the wrist. Grab it air. Grab let's, it let's air. Let's grab some air. Even when <laughs> individuals are, are, you know, playing roles of professionals. And I think if we could champion or start holding our, our media accountable for how we are perceived, that would be a great place to start. Malika, can I ask, what do you mean by media? Do you mean just like news or are you talking about entertainment, reality, TV, all of the, above. okay. I, I just want that understanding for the audience <laughs> yeah, because some people, when they hear yeah. media, they just think like news, uh, but you know, social media, social media, entertainment, music, world. music, Movies, social media, videos, Huge. social media, yeah. you name it. Um, it's not often that I see a polished, well-spoken black woman, reality TV for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How do we address that as African-American women when that's being said to us? Oh, you're so articulate or you present well or you write really well in surprise. Like, how do we respond to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think in any instance where there's a microaggression, you have three choices. You could let it go. You could deal with it right in the moment or you could have a private conversation with someone afterwards to talk about it. And I think they all have strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I think if you let it go, 
then it might be more comfortable. You might avoid being seen a certain way, but you might feel maybe like you betrayed yourself or like you should have said something. I think if you say it in the moment, um, the benefit of it is that it just happened. So in terms of giving the person feedback, it's fresh, um, but there's a risk of maybe them feeling defensive or if you're really angry in the moment, maybe the conversation doesn't go quite the way you wanted it to. Um, and then if you talk about it later, you know, maybe you can have a more constructive conversation, um, but you might miss the opportunity for others to learn and it might not be as fresh. But I think like there are a number of things that you have to weigh in terms of figuring out which one's best in the moment. Um, you know, I think to La Quinta's point, sometimes you might just feel too tired and too weary and you might not wanna spend some of the emotional labor to educate someone. And so in that moment, you just might feel like, you know, for me right now, for my own self-care, I'm just gonna let this go. <laughs> and, you know, maybe the next one, I'll have the energy to speak up on it, but for right now, I'm tired. I know a lot of my black colleagues um, after George Floyd's death just felt like, I don't have the bandwidth right now to deal with all the yes. white people who are coming to me right now, asking me how I'm feeling or wanting to be educated. And so sometimes I think it can be honoring yourself to, to acknowledge that. Um, but I think other times like, Pardon me? I was going to say, I love the way you put that. Yeah, honoring yeah. yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but recognizing what you're doing. So it's not just being reactive. It's because this is how I take care of myself. Um, but I think in the moment, um, it can be helpful just to, to bring it up and to say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but when you said that, it made me feel this way. I don't know if that was your intention, but that's how it came across. And be prepared that the person might be defensive. And I think just reiterating, look, that might not have been your intention, but this is how it made me feel. Um, and when you bring it to how it made you feel, it's harder for somebody to dispute your own personal experience. Um, but I'm gonna say that doing that still involves some risk mm -hmm. and it might not go the way that you want it to go. And so I think you have to really kind of tap into your own values and what's important to me. And will I regret not having spoken up about it? and then act accordingly, realizing that there could be pros and cons either way. There is no simple answer to it. Yeah, I will say, like, when you when you mentioned your friend who, you know, after George, George Floyd and so many people, so many white people reaching out to their black friends or their black colleagues mm -hmm. and asking questions. See, for me, I look at that personally like, okay, black people, we can't have it both ways. We can't be mad because they don't want to engage conversation. And then now they want to engage conversation and we all of a sudden are too overwhelmed to have it. Like, we got to decide which, which, which do we want, really. Because right now is the moment and the time that their ears are ready to hear and really listen. At least you hope they are authentically really wanting to hear something that can help usher the change in that we all want to see. So I feel like right now for me as a black woman, if my white friends, white colleagues, white people in general, because there's tons of Caucasian people who listen to these three things, please believe me because they email. Um, mm -hmm. I'm having the conversation. Sometimes I'm exhausted. I may not respond to your email right the day that you emailed me, but I'm going to get back to you because right now is the season for us to not be passive about setting some things straight because I'm one of those type of people, now that I've put it out there and I've told you, I'm, I'm holding you accountable for what you now know. I can't hold you accountable for what I've not said to you, what I haven't expressed to you, what I haven't presented to you or given you some food for thought about. 
and I'm going to be professional in the way I say it, because if you can listen in my voice, I probably sound super aggressive right now. But um, <laughs> who said, mm-hmm? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> I heard, I think that was Dr. Patricia. <laughs> Somebody said, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I sound super, but I'm going to handle it in a professional way, and I'm going to take my tone down, but I'm going to seize that moment to educate you, especially if it's someone that I'm going to be seeing on a regular basis, because mm-hmm. I don't want to keep going through this with you. I want to educate you now in this moment, and let's get some clarity, let's get some understanding, and then I'm going to hold you accountable the next time you come to me. And I want to just name a couple thank of... thank you for that reminder. That was a good reminder. What's that? Yeah, you know, not to be exhausted, right? But we can't be. But yeah. this is a moment where we have to be engaged. We have to. Because I agree. Dr. Leslie, I know you wanted to say something, so go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you 100%. I've had two-hour conversations with colleagues. I've uh, literally said to my black colleagues, black friends, white colleagues, we, we have to give each other a little bit of grace. Um, you know, right now, everyone's, sensitivity level is high um you know white people are afraid to ask some questions because they don't want to say the wrong thing and they are getting frustrated and they want to learn but they act like they don't know how or in some are a lot more active and so the days when my bandwidth is really low I may just say here just read this article or Mm -hmm. you know find a book and read you know white white fragility white fragility Mm -hmm. um or, you know, do, do something actively on your side to learn. And then sometimes, because on social media, I'm very active on social media, and I've caught myself popping off at some people, and they were like, I really just want to learn. And I said, you know what, I'm just exhausted today. I'll come back and revisit this tomorrow, and then I'll give them information. I realized maybe I'm being too harsh. And then there's a lot of entertainers out there um, that are like, we don't have we shouldn't educate white people no it's not our responsibility but at the same time to your point they're asking so if someone wants to learn and they're asking you a question i'm not i'm just not going to be rude and be like oh i'm not going to talk to you today you're going to have to find that out on your own and then it's like okay I, we asked what you know i, right. I can do, see both yeah right what do you want like i mean <laughs> I, i've never asked before <laughs> and if you think about that in respect to our Caucasian friends or peers or whoever who, who reach out to us, we don't know what it took for them to even ask that question. Yeah. Think about that. You know, we don't know how much they had to really take a deep breath and be willing to hear the response, knowing that it could probably not be well for me about, you know, what this person is going to say. So, yeah, engaging, I think, is you know, I think we need to. And I think sometimes I, I agree with you, too, Dr. Patricia, where you said sometimes like, you know, you just it's like Amanda Seals says, whom I love. How <laughs> black am I going to have to be today? But see, just Amanda, how black Amanda's the main one that <laughs> says to be. I'm not going to educate you. But you know what frustrates <laughs> me, though? But then and I and I, I was kind of harsh to an individual. They sent me a video of Candace Owens. And when you start oh. sending me that kind of I'm like, I, I, I don't have the energy to break this down for you. Yeah. I said. I would have rather you ask me how I'm doing rather than ask me to analyze this. Uh, and then w- once I sent that back, they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I really consider you a friend. But one of the things, too, I always do with all my white colleagues that wanted to ask questions, I said, you, do you have any black friends, like true black mm-hmm. friends? I mean, have they been over to your house for dinner? You know about their family, their kids. Not that you work with someone black, but do you truly have black people in your circle 
that if you were on your deathbed, they might come and visit you in the hospital and say goodbye to you. That's a friend. How many yeses did you get? Uh, well, not many. Dr. Leslie, <laughs> I, I think that's important. <laughs> While we are all tired, I think we all have an obligation. And I think that's awesome that your colleagues feel like they can they call you and have those types of conversations. But we have an obligation to ask everyone to get cultural informants. Mm-hmm. 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 I need an Asian friend. Mm-hmm. I need a Latino or a Hispanic Absolutely. friend, mm-hmm. just like Caucasians need African-American friends. We all need someone that we're comfortable with having conversations with and having uh, uncomfortable, asking uncomfortable questions of. And I think one of the things, the biggest things that we can do is direct people or ask people to to befriend someone, get your cultural informant in your life Mm -hmm. so that we could definitely reset some things. So if they say to you, okay, so Malika, how do I do that? Like, I want to do that. How do I do it? It's it's all about establishing a friendship. It's just like you would befriend a white person. I think it's going to take a little bit of extra time and effort. If you don't have any African-American or Asian or Hispanic people in your circle, you're going to have to be intentional about seeking people out, uh, stating your true intentions that you really want to understand. You want to be better informed. You want to have someone to have those checks and balances, those type, those types of conversations of checks and balances with. But I think it's really important for us to have cultural informants. I think friendship is like um, your palate, right? Or like your experiences. And I often say to people, you got to expand your palate in order to expand your experiences. So if I continuously say I don't eat carrots and you've never tasted carrots before, you don't know if you like it or not. And so I think expanding your friendship base and expanding those that you interact with is is a way for you to expand your palate. Valid. And can you express, can you elaborate a little deeper with that? When you say expand, that means getting to know someone whom you have felt. Absolutely. Elaborate on that a little bit. And I think it's a responsibility. I I often ask people, you know, who don't have friends outside Mm -hmm. of their racial base, why? Why haven't you ever made a friend outside of your racial base? And it can't be because I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood or I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. There has been a walk of life that you've been on that, has, that you've come across someone that you felt a connection with. Why haven't you felt comfortable befriending that person? Right. And I, w- I, w- I want to revisit something you said because I think as African-Americans, uh, for us, a lot of it could be trust issues. It could be trust. And not being Absolutely. willing to open ourselves up Absolutely. to different types of friendships uh, with, with different people. But I think in order for us to facilitate change and really see the change that we want to be, we have to be open to those types of relationships. Absolutely. It goes both ways, right? I think yeah. you said that earlier, Sharana. It does. It does. Absolutely. You are listening To these three things, the Queen Group, Atlanta, will be right back. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. Hey, Queens, are you tired of feeling like you're getting overlooked on the job? If you're ready to get ahead in your career, I recommend working with corporate psychologist, Dr. Patricia Thompson. Whether you need to develop your leadership skills, build your confidence, manage your stress, boost your emotional intelligence, or deal with some other professional issue, 
She's got you covered. Visit silverliningpsychology.com to learn about her executive coaching sessions and online courses. Or visit her blog for lots of helpful career tips. Have you guys experienced microaggressions in the workplace? And if you have, like, I'm sure you have. Share with me what has been your experience, and anybody can go first. So I am a, the, the formal wife of a professional athlete mm-hmm. and I, I drive and have driven a pretty a nice, nice car, car. Mm-hmm. or uh, automobiles. And, you know, it was said to me explicitly that, you know, that may be a problem for, you know, me and the work that I do because I'm a consultant mm-hmm. and we're trying to generate business and there's a perception that may come with that. And, and I've, I've kind of thought about that and it took me aback. But I, I kind of pushed back and I resisted because I was like, you know, my life is my life. How I make my money or how I, I got my money is, is my personal business. As long as I show up and, and I do a good job and if I'm out there hustling and if I'm getting contracts and I'm getting business for you, that's all that a client or, or, or you as my boss or my superior or my direct report, I should say, should be concerned with. And so I've found myself in those types of situations and instances where people have made uh, comments about that. Anybody else? I had an experience um, in my previous um, kind of employer where my, I guess she is the vice president of our of the operation, and I wore the same pair of shoes to a meeting. Mm. I noticed it. I knew she noticed it, and I was like, "Oh, she got some good taste." That's I bet I they were lubes, weren't they? <laughs> no, they weren't. They, they weren't. weren't? Lubes. Oh, okay. No, they weren't lubes. They weren't red bottoms. I'm shocked. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but they were shoes, right? So we we both wore a pair of shoes yeah. to work, and they okay. were these the baddest boots that I had seen, and I contemplated and contemplated and contemplated, and I was like, "Do it, mm-hmm. right?" And her comment to me was, "She was like, oh, I see you." She's like, "I see you have good taste in shoes, girlfriend," and I said, "I see you have good taste too." She's like, "Did you get them on sale?" I said, "No." Mm-hmm. <gasps> Wow. And I thought to myself, like, no, I didn't get them on sale. Did you? You know, does Jimmy Choose go on sale? I don't know. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think Choose go on sale, do they? (laughs) But I was super shocked. But the idea that you didn't pay full price for these, surely. That you said it. Yeah. There's some things you think. Yeah. Right? But I was so surprised that she said that. Mm -hmm. And before I realized it, my answer. You know, as you say, I'm sweet and, you know, yeah. my managed. Q came out. Uh-huh. She met LaQuinta. <laughs> <laughs> she met LaQuinta. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? Like, that's no. some of those examples. Oh. People will see me and they'll say, oh, you got that nice car. You got that nice bag. And I'm like, uh, I don't have children. I have a great and I don't career. even think that you have to say no, that. No, but I mean, this is someone I know. But yeah. I'm just like, y- you know. You look, you got a Hermes belt, and she's like, Well, it's fake. (laughs) 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 I was like, Oh, (laughs) but but, you know, I feel to a certain extent that no matter, you know, as you advance in, in, in financial success or in your career, there's always somebody counting your pockets. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but it's so funny that it, it happens even in our own community amongst ourselves. We are often judgmental towards each other, and we have to stop that. You know, celebrate somebody for what they have, and if, if it's something that you're aspiring to be able to do, figure out how you can position yourself in life to be able to get the things in life that you want to get, but don't hate on somebody else for 
you know, what they have worked hard for or what they've been able to sacrifice for. You, you don't know what it took. Macroaggressions are systemic things. They're overt. It's like when you basically are saying something and it's against a whole race of people. Those are macroaggressions. Uh, a macroaggression that I noticed from a job that I worked was that in, in the athletics world is that the student body did not reflect the administration did not reflect what the student body looked like. All of these black student athletes, these black coaches, but not one single solitary black person in leadership. Those are macroaggressions. And um, we can talk about it more from like, you know, the corporate America role, because uh, I feel like that's where you see it mostly is in corporations where, or in like you said, we don't get those seats at the table, but there's tons of minorities working for the company, but in the upper levels in the C-suites where the decisions are being made, you don't see any of us being represented there. Um, Dr. Patricia, I wanna ask you this one directly because I know as you're working with co companies and, and corporations, how do you address that, those macroaggressions when you go in, you're, you've been hired, you've been brought in to, uh, talk about these things, how do you address this? I mean, so I guess one of the interesting things is um, historically this wasn't the sort of thing that they would necessarily want to address at all or mm -hmm. even see as an issue. Um, so I think, first of all, you just have to make people aware of what it is that they're doing. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people will find an explanation for why that's the case. It's just like, oh, well, you know, good candidates of color are so hard to find or right. something like that. Or we've really tried, but, you know, we just couldn't really do it. Or, you know, they might have an interview and feel like, oh, well, that person's just not a good fit for our culture, those sorts of things. And so I think you really have to hold up the mirror so that they can recognize, you know, what they're doing. And if you really have a commitment to diversity, Diversity might mean hiring the candidate who doesn't feel comfortable to you because you can talk to them about, you know, going fishing at the lake or, you know, where do you summer right. or stuff like that. But instead, someone who's going to bring a different opinion to the table and a different experience. But really, I think it's, it's partially just helping people to be more aware of what their biases are as they're hiring and making sure that they have enough a broad enough pool of candidates who they're hiring from mm -hmm. i think the other thing is like if you really have a commitment to diversity then you have to source diversity candidates um if you're diverse you know having one diversity candidate and everybody else is white i mean just um right you know just statistically you might be more inclined to find that white person and then i think the other thing that you really have to do is think about what am I looking for as I'm hiring? I was part of one panel and, you know, one person was actually making the point, it was actually a white woman, that a lot of times they'll hire white candidates based on potential, mm -hmm. but they don't tend to do that for black candidates. Right. And why is that? You know, what is it that you're able to see in a white person that you cannot see in a black person in the same way? And so I think it, it has a lot to do with, like, really having people have to take a hard look in the mirror, mm -hmm. but then, you know, also the metrics are important and what are you measuring and what are our goals and how are we going to make sure those happen? Because if you really want to do it, you can, it's just a matter of how committed you are to really hiring at that level. That's good. I wanted to speak uh, to your point about, and it ties back to originally when we started about equity and I, I'm really happy with my employer just, really proud to work for an organization that has literally put down tenets of, well, equity is a big part of our 
stronghold of what we stand for um, with our new CEO. And they actually outlined um, what they were going to do to hire or promote more black people. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. I was so proud because I get so frustrated so many times when I would bring up diversity it's like diversity didn't mean black people or people of color or minorities um, related to, you know, race, ethnicity. It was always women, uh, age. It was like diversity was everything else, but (laughs) But minority black people were, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so it was like, they were afraid and an uncomfortable. And now we have this opportunity and these conversations are being had. Like I have never seen before in corporate America, we are literally having conversations uh, with, um, you know, executive leadership one-on-one. And they're like, we want to know what your experiences, black people are within our organization or in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And people are being raw. Yeah. I was going to say to the, to that point, um, you know, women are evaluated differently in the corporate environment than our male colleagues. You know, when you look at a woman's resume, her resume may not show years of progressive experience because she may have taken a lateral, she may have taken time off to be a mom, she may have taken a step back because of the the requirements of various things within her life, or she may not have just been afforded opportunities. And I often see that same bias show up in the selection of women as well as people of color yeah. during the interview process. And you know, part of what we have to do in organizations is we've got to change the folks that are evaluating the candidates and really understanding, as Dr. Patricia said, what we're hiring for. It's not just filling a role, but it's assessing the strengths and opportunities that you have in the current leadership team and hiring for those gaps. And that often removes some of the barriers. And that's some of the tough conversation that I'm having today You know, with my hiring managers around, and co- tough conversations I've had in the past, not even talking about today's role, um, is and just would, around understanding, okay. you know, okay. kind of what's expected and hiring for those skill sets. What were you going to say, Dr. Patricia? Well, and I was just going to add, I mean, I think it's not just about hiring and promotions. I think it's about making sure that people of color get developed Absolutely. appropriately Absolutely. so that yes. when they get in those positions, they'll be able to be successful. Yes. Um, you know, you don't want to put someone in a role where they might fail. And so I think if you are intentional about developing, then you'll have a pipeline of black people who will be ready whenever any opportunity comes up to be able to take it. And my advice to the listener is ask for a mentor. Now, when you get your promotion, ask for a mentor, ask what does success look like, ask for the training that you need and have your company invest in that. Do not just step into the role and not get afforded the opportunities that you need to close your own personal gaps. We know what we bring to the table as individuals. Ask for what you need in order to be successful. If you need a presentations coach, ask for it. <laughs> if you need financial acumen training, ask for it. When you get when you get So promoted. what happens when you ask for it and you don't get it? Because I don't want to oversimplify that because we if it was just that easy, we'd be further along than where we are. Right. We'd be we'd be way further along than where we are if it was just that easy. I do feel like there are times where Afri- black women will go and try to seek what you're saying, Q. LaQuinta, excuse me. That's okay. You've earned the right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's <laughs> about to say about time. Uh, uh, I feel like there are moments where black women will go and do what you're in inst- what you're saying mm-hmm. and be met with the yeah. Stiff arm. When some people are threatened by yeah. by you wanting to 
be developed or that that manager will be threatened that oh she's getting a degree like I've heard that a lot yes because when they when they see talent in you because a lot of times I feel like in the workplace our talent is identified it's clear but I'm only going to tell you and show you so much because you're not going to take my job, you know, and, and those, those come with insecurities, but I want to speak to the woman who is listening, who has done what you're saying to do Q, who is getting met with the stiff arm, who's getting met with the runaround, who's getting met with, yeah, I'm going to have this 30 minute meeting with you, but I'm not really going to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this be about everything else about other than what you came in here to talk to me about, because I'm not really interested in developing you that way. Do they, do at that point do they realize okay this is not my tribe this person is not interested in developing me and I move on to the next person because I just don't think it's just that easy in my case LaQuinta it's actually been offered unsolicited but there's been no Mm follow-through so that's that's a problem that is a problem what I would say is your only well is not your employer pick from another well yeah I mean, find, find your network. You leverage. I don't know, Dr. Patricia, Dr. Patricia, if you would agree with this or not. I would. But um, LinkedIn is a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Find successful mm-hmm. people who have financial leadership experience. Reach out to them and ask them to mentor you. I love that. Yep. So what you're saying is, is go outside of your little network Absolutely. at your job. If you mm-hmm. need That's it, great. get what That's you good. need. That is. Because you know yep. what you need to be successful and show up with the skill set. Yeah. And let them figure out how you got it. That's good yeah. stuff. Right? You all, this is. Listen, this is your career. You own it. That gave me cold chills. That's powerful. That's that's good advice for some sister who's sitting somewhere frustrated right now, that's doing all of those things, reaching out and wanting people to know, being aggressive of where they want to go and just getting stiff arm. Sister, reach outside that network and build relationships mm-hmm. in other places with people who are doing or or are where you are trying to go. And let me tell you what you're also doing is you're creating awareness of you in the market. Yes. And what you call what I call external eminence. And so when an opportunity opens up, guess what that person is thinking about is that young lady who reached out to me and got coaching. She might be a good fit for my organization. That's so your good. opportunity is not just in that one well that you're pulling from. That's good. Dr. Sharana, Patricia, can I, I ask one question? Absolutely. I don't know. I, oh, sorry. That's I right. thought you asked me a question. <laughs> I wanted to ask. And I I think it's great that we're having these conversations about race and equity and opportunity, but does anybody else feel uneasy that perhaps the backlash would be kind of like affirmative action? African-Americans, black people, women are not necessarily really deserving of these opportunities. It's just kind of a given. We're now going to be given opportunities yeah, that was the point Absolutely. I was getting around that the backlash of that, that only reason, the only reason we're getting opportunities is because there's, there's this initiative, not that we earned it because or that they even feel like we earned exactly, it. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that happened uh, in some of our conversations is that people were having all of this talk about um, uh, in telling our leadership, Hey, you know, we're overqualified and we're not getting the opportunities and so once the the that was done the the comment was made well you know we want to put the most qualified person in the position i think that uh, and laquina like, just spoke what? to it i think laquina just spoke <laughs> to it i think that what you just said what i heard you say was that okay let's just say it's true let's just say we're getting opportunities because now people are you know okay we're going to hire them let's just say if, if it's done with not even a real intent to you know, diversify. 
It's just done now because it's the right thing to do, but we're going to show them how they're not ready for these positions. Because trust me, it happens, and we all know that it happens. I think what you said is valid. If you are given that opportunity, you might get in there and realize there's some things that you don't know. But hey, go find it out. Prove if you realize that, okay, they've put me in positions where they've not even told me these things, you may have to work extra. And believe me, uh, black women who are listening, if you have reached or obtained some level of success in your life professionally, you've done double already to get there. So this is this is will be nothing new for you. This will be nothing new if you've been given an opportunity because of what's happened in the world right now and you've and they're promoting us and giving us jobs. I do absolutely believe, Malika, that some of these, some of that is will be backlash because they're just trying to show in the future why we didn't hire these people because they weren't ready for it in the first place. But that doesn't mean that you can't get ready. And that may mean you may have to work over over hours to figure out what you don't know. You may have to reach out to some people that are in the profession outside of where you work to get the information that you need. But what you do with the opportunity once it's given to you is on you. And the other side, of, you know, any any job you move into promotion wise or new, I mean, there's always a level of learning and you, mm-hmm. you got to you got to right. dig deep and, you know, learn whatever wh- whatever that is. But I, I said for me, I would be crazy not to go after these opportunities while the fi- while the iron is hot. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I want to I want to uh, move on because I know we'll stay in this vein as well for a while. <laughs> Um, all of you guys are leaders in your professions. You've, you know, been promoted and I want to know like how, how do you guys walk that fine line of being in leadership, having to deal with multiple personalities on a daily basis and staying assertive and getting the job done, but not coming across angry or unlikable because that's a term that gets placed on us quite a bit is that God, we're not so the most likable in this area. Yeah. I'm going to pull up to the mic. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> I have so much to talk about in this area. So I'll start off by saying I have worked with some talented women, regardless of race over the, over the course of my career. Yes. And I have chewed up the meat and spit out the fat. There's things that I have seen them do that have been behaviors. I have wanted to learn how to, uh, demonstrate, and then there are behaviors that I have also seen that are not that don't align with me. Okay. And in those instances, I've taken those individuals for who they are, and I've tapped into what I've needed to get. And then once I got what I needed to get, I've moved out. Right. Mm-hmm. But I've understand what my own leadership fingerprint is from a leadership perspective, and that has to do with what I'm comfortable doing mm-hmm. and delivering, and how I drive for results. The other thing I was going to say is that our kings, as we have said, face a different level of of bias in the organization simply because they're big, you know, they could be strong, tall, muscular, bravado voices. They come with authority. Most of them dress nice, smell nice, look nice, right? When they get in those positions, they're there. They've earned the seat. And so there is a sense of um, intimidation that Mm -hmm. our men face that they have to learn how to navigate. The third thing I was going to say is when it comes to, you know, learning how to operate, it's figuring out the systems in which you work in and operating in those systems. What I do in my role, um, because the role that I have now requires a lot of gain in Mm -hmm. and influence, I'm I'm influencing decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to have a lot of buy-in. So I'm having those individual one-on-one conversations, gaining the agreement before I sit in front of that table 
or in front of my colleagues to present anything. Another great tidbit. What you just said is a lot of times what we don't do mm-hmm. is we got to get the private buy-in before we go public a lot of times. times. Absolutely. Yeah. Because what, what has worked for me is not me selling my own idea. Mm-hmm. It's the people at the table selling my idea. And I'm okay. You mm-hmm. take the credit because at the end of the day, I'm going to check the box around what got done. Right. It's off my list and I'm going right. to the next thing. Hey, Queens. That's it for part one of Black Women in the Workplace. We will not have a these three things today, but we will at the end of part two next week. I hope you have enjoyed the Queen Group Atlanta with Dr. Patricia, LaQuinta, Dr. Leslie, and Malika. We'll see you next week.